Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, experiencing the outdoors, and having epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my number one goal for you is to get out and hunt. My name is Skylar Harrison. I'm your host. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, we're going to be talking about archery mule deer success and some lessons I learned this year hunting archery mule deer up in the high country, which is my favorite type of hunting to do. So, um, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I killed a buck this year for the very first time. I am super excited about it. And I was thinking about all the things that led up to this success. And I realized that there were multiple years of failures that led to lessons that I learned that led to success in the mountains. Finally. So I wanted to kind of recap my whole archery journey, if you will, and talk about the lessons I learned over the last few years, because this is my fourth year archery hunting. It was my very first kill. So um, I started bow hunting in 2019. I had a deer tag and all this was in episode six, if you want to go back and listen. So I, I missed up a bunch of chances. I, I, I slept in and missed an opportunity when I like opened my canvas cutter and there were deer like 85 yards away. I messed a, an opportunity because I didn't knock an arrow and I missed that chance. When I woke up and there was deer standing in front of me, I shot over a buck because I had bad posture. And then in 2020, I didn't have a deer tag, but I had an elk tag. And oh my gosh, I had so many lessons that year. Um, I talked about those things in episode 37 and 39, and I'll have these linked in the show notes if you want to go and look at the the show notes so you can you don't have to remember the episode numbers. So that year I learned that shooting lanes are everything. It's really thick in the elk woods. Um, I got busted by movement multiple times. I lost an opportunity because my hands were shaking. I couldn't get my release onto the string. And then last year I had a deer tag and I, this was the year that I was chasing that big buck Ironside. I made the mistake of ranging the rock behind him. I missed a two point uh, because I guessed the yardage, but I gained some really valuable stalking experience and mule deer behavior experience in general. So anyway, all these times going out and hunting with your bow, you're going to learn something. And every time you make a stock, that's a, that's kind of an at bat, if you will, you know, um, multiple opportunities is how you're going to learn. And anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about this year. So I only had one day to hunt. Um, well, I, I have just the weekends to hunt and I only had Saturday, which was opening day. So I was planning on staying out until very last light, hiking out in the dark, no matter how late it was, or if I shot something at last light, I would just pack it out all night if I had to. So I had plenty of food, but no sleeping gear, which is nice because I didn't have to pack camp and my pack was a lot lighter for just being able to one trip a deer out if I had to, because Ross and Colby weren't going to leave for a long time. I think they had six plus days that they had packed in then they were planning on staying back there. So, um, and I'm going to get into in this episode, sorry, I'm kind of just like jumping in already, but I have like eight, let's see. Yeah. I have eight solid lessons that I learned that will be really helpful, especially for new bow hunters. So if you're a new bow hunter and you want to not make the mistakes that I've made over the years, then these are eight things that I've learned that led to a successful trip. So anyway, I did what my, my new MO is just going down to the trailhead 
and the night before sleeping in my canvas cutter in the back of the truck at the hill at the trailhead right there and just being there in stealth mode and i won't get over that setup because it just turned out to be a key to success and that is getting good sleep and having energy to stay out all day and to hike out all night if you have to so colby colby was hunting with us for the first time this year um colby had already packed in earlier that day on friday and then Ross is on the coaching staff of a high school football team. And so he had a game that he was going to on Friday night. And so he didn't get to the trailhead until pretty late. And he came in with his dad, Edwin, and Paulo, our mutual friend. So Paulo, Paulo, Ross, Colby, and I all had tags. So it was going to be a fun day. Um, they didn't get to the trailhead until like 1 a.m. And I was laying there fast asleep in my my cozy canvas cutter. They said, Hey, to me real quick with their headlamps. And, uh, they just hiked in starting at 1 AM. And I think they were planning on just going in, maybe taking a nap before sunrise. But my plan was to just bomb in early in the morning and shoot the first legal buck that I could find. So I woke up at 3:45, started hiking around 4:15 or so. And I got a quarter mile in and realized that I left my trekking poles <laughs> at the truck just in my excitement of getting going. I think I just forgot. So I turned around, of course, I wasn't about to hike it that much vertical and then pack out a deer potentially without trekking poles. So I've carried loads with trekking poles without pre- trekking poles and it's possible, but it's just a lot more comfortable with them. So I really like hiking with trekking poles and I wasn't about to leave them behind. So I really didn't get started until almost 4.30 a.m., So I was starting out a little bit behind and it takes about two hours to get into the huntable area where we hunt. So it was going to be pretty much perfect. I get there right around uh, sunrise, right around the first light. So my watch said that twilight was like 610 or 611 or something. And then sunrise was 640 or something. So I, if I hurried, I'd be right on time. So I was a little worried about two things and holding me up from being successful on this hunt. And those things were my boots and my knees. So I don't know if I updated the podcast with my knee stuff. I'm not, I don't think I did. Uh, So if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen that my knee sort of blew up the week of the hunt. So I was going to participate in the campaigns 125k virtual race. And that's where you do 25k a day for five days. And that's like 15 and a half miles every day for five days. So I did it Monday and then Tuesday I only got in two miles and my knees just started killing me and I had to just tap out. Um, I immediately reached out to Preston Ward of Mountain Physio. He's my physical therapist and I got an emergency appointment and he, he helped me like two years ago and I haven't had a problem since he helped me. But then I really started upping the mileage recently over the last couple months. And what he told me at that appointment was that I just overworked it and I strained my IT band. So I had that appointment, that appointment on Wednesday and he did some dry needling in some of those tight muscles in my left, uh, my left leg and some scraping to get the blood flowing to help heal my IT band and loosen it up. And I also got this sweet cork ball from him that I, Uh, it's nice and light. You can use it like a lacrosse ball for stretching out those sore muscles, but since it's cork, it's lightweight and you can take it with you on a long run or hiking and it doesn't take up tons of space or way too much. So that's a really useful thing to stretch out those tight muscles. And, um, it's probably going to be in my everyday 
pack now. It's just me all my packing list. So anyway, that's the first thing I was worried about, my knee holding me up. The second thing I was worried about holding me up was my feet in my new boots. So I think I mentioned on the last episode that I got some new boots and they're a little bit stiffer than I'm used to. So anyway, I, I was a little worried about that my hunt wouldn't even get started because either my feet or my knee would just prevent me from getting into the hunting grounds. But it turns out that I worried for no reason because they held up and I made it to my goal spot, which is this little cut where I usually see deer at first light. And I was, I just, I wanted to make it to that little spot because I, I usually see those. And if I could find a deer right there in that normal spot at first light, I, that would have been awesome. Um, so anyway, right as I got up to that spot, it started getting light around 6:15, and I spotted Paulo and Ross's dad, Edwin up ahead. And I hurried and caught up to them and I figured that they had just taken a nap and then they just barely started moving again once light came, but they had actually been hiking all night. So they had been hiking for over five hours and Paulo looked pretty beat up after being awake, you know, for over 24 hours potentially. And And it's quite a haul to get up in there too. And to do it on no sleep, I can't really imagine it. It was really rough. So there weren't any deer in that little spot. So I continued up um, passing Paulo and Edwin um, with just the goal of hunting along the way to my glassing spot up near camp and picking up some bucks to stock in on once they bed. So that was the plan. So I probably got four to 500 yards off the trail and I spotted some bucks immediately feeding another 350 yards away below some of these cliffs. There were two small two points, a small KG three point, and then this giant four point, like really, really nice deer. And I spotted them. And because I knew the terrain, I knew that there was this small ravine below them that I could use to cover my approach below them because the wind was still going down. And I stayed out of sight, dropped some elevation so I could get into this cut and I just checked up on them from time to day, time to time to make sure that they hadn't busted out. And, and then I got to this little cliff where there was a little flatter spot up above me and then another bank of cliffs right above the deer. So I'm like 90 yards away or so from their last known location. And I had like, I already dropped my pack. I had an arrow knocked and I was ready to go. I was within the hundred yards, but now I didn't know where they were and I didn't have that and I, I didn't have that cliff to block my view and my sound anymore. And so that I went into stealth mode. So uh, luckily it had rained the night before a little bit and the ground was pretty soft. And I was just standing there trying to peer through the trees and trying to locate those bucks again. So I, di- I didn't want to move uh, without knowing where they were. And my plan was just to see which way, which direction they were feeding and then get ahead of them and wait for them to come to me you know, in a group of four bucks, you know, four pairs of eyes and then being up and feeding and, you know, they're not, they were not bedded. They're up and feeding. It's, it's a high likelihood of getting spotted by one of those deer. I figured ambush was the best method. So I hadn't been standing there more than two minutes when one of those two points appeared and it had taken a 90 degree turn of where I last saw them. And it started headed down the mountain, almost straight at me. And he, he stepped out, he's coming toward me and I ranged him and he was 35 yards and walking perfectly broadside. And I, I hesitated for like 10 seconds cause I was trying to look for that big four that was with him. I mean, it was a super nice buck hoping that like the big buck would tail this little two point, 
but I didn't see him. And then I remembered my goal and I, the promise that I made to myself not to pass up on anything. And it, I mean, it was like God had destined this buck to come right to me. I ranged him again and he was at 34 yards and he stopped and fed right there. And he had no idea I was there. His head went behind a bush. He's feeding. He's perfectly broadside. So his head was behind that bush. I drew back. He kept feeding right there with a, just this perfect broadside presentation. And he was a little below me. So I, 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 I pulled back. I tilted down, leveled my bubble, and I could just hear my heart pounding in my ears. And then the shot broke, and I watched as that arrow just sailed exactly where I was aiming and I heard that iconic pumpkin sound and immediately saw buckets of blood pouring out of that entrance hole. He ran down the hill. I pulled out my phone to take a video and I got the video started just in time to catch him tipping over on camera and he died right there 57 yards after the shot. I can I cannot describe how amazing it felt to see him die right there in sight. I waited there for a few seconds and just soaked it all in. Like I, like I just killed a buck with my bow. I did it. I freaking did it. And especially after, after this whole last year, wounding a buck last year. I'm, I'm, like, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But I, I wounded a deer last year, and I've just been sick about it this entire year. And it's just so much relief. Like just being able to watch that buck go down inside and not having any question that it was a it was a perfect lethal hit the the contrast between that versus last year and just the sickening feeling of knowing it was a bad hit I mean this is a stark contrast so um anyway after I watched it go down I sent a, a, a text to my wife and I sent it at 7:09 a.m um, I had service up there it was pretty cool I sent a text to the hunting group and then while I was texting them I heard the iconic death moan that they make uh, when that last little bit of air escapes their lungs after a lung shot. So it was just amazing. <laughs> it was just so amazing. I wish I could better describe it for you guys. Um, and then after a, a minute or two, the other two point came down and he started looking at me and he was really confused. Eventually he busted down the hill. And right after that, that deer left, then I see a guy carrying a bow going right up by my deer and I thought it was Colby so I whistled and I waved and then I noticed that he was hunched over he had an arrow knocked and he was creeping up to this grove of trees and then when I whistled he looked at me and then he pointed up the hill where the big four was as if to say like I'm headed up there and I felt kind of bad because I had whistled and like maybe called too much attention to myself and ruined his stock or something um, I didn't know for sure where the big four was I was literally just standing still on the like standing exactly on the spot where I had taken the shot from. So anyway, I just crouched down, waited for his stock to be over. Um, he eventually came out of the trees, put his arrow back in his quiver and came over and talked to me. Really nice guy. I had actually talked to him last year. Um, he had been, he's been hunting in this area for 10 years and I explained where we were planning on camping. Anyway, anyway, it was just cool to talk to him because he said, actually he said he was stalking the same deer. I mean, obviously he was, um, but he was stalking the deer. He didn't know that I was there. And then he just sees that two point coming straight down the hill at him. And he was like, Oh no, this deer is going to bust me. And he didn't see me standing in the, in the trees above the deer. And then he just said he heard my bow go off and saw the deer die right in front of him. So that was probably pretty cool for him to watch. Um, 
but I kind of felt bad because I might have blown his stock a little bit from the noise and from whistling. Um, but anyway, he, he moved on. I think he continued chasing after that big deer, but eventually I went down to the, to my deer and took a look and it was just, as I suspected a perfect shot. I mean, obviously the deer died super quickly. I knew it was a good shot, but I noticed that it was a complete pass through. So I went up and looked for my arrow and I couldn't find it. <clears throat> and then Ross eventually came up, helped me find find my arrow and uh it had zipped right through the deer and buried like six or seven inches in the dirt behind it so that was pretty cool um and also in case you're wondering i use slick trick magnum 125 grain broadheads it's just this simple fixed blade flies really well um it's relatively inexpensive and it did the job so um then as ross and i are standing there we're waiting for paulo and edwin to come up over the hill another hunter came from the other side and came and talked to us he congratulated me and he said that he was actually stalking the same four point on the hill so uh when i shot that buck and i was stalking it on those deer there were three of us three hunters that were after the same deer so that's just public land for you i mean especially on opening day i mean we usually don't run into many people up there but this time uh there were i mean it was a little lower than than normal and elevation just because I hadn't gotten up to camp yet where we usually are. But especially when there's a big buck visible on the side of a mountain, I mean, it's like a magnet, right? And this area, we don't usually see giant bucks like this. So, I mean, it wasn't like a, a giant giant. He wasn't like a 200 inch deer, but he might've been like 160 or 150 or something like really, really nice deer. Um, Colby texted pretty close to after my, on, on the same thread. And he said that he had taken a shot on a big four, but he had missed. Um, he said it was a pretty long shot, like 75 yards, but he felt good about it and he doesn't know what happened or why he missed. Um, we'll have to get him on the podcast to tell that story a little bit more, but, um, eventually he made his way down to us too. And Paulo and Edwin made it too. And we got some pictures and we just got to enjoy having a deer down. It was just so awesome. I'm, I mean, I've never been tagged out at first light on opening day, uh, I remember going hunting on the rifle opener and hearing shots at first light and just being so jealous of all those people. I'm like, man, like they're, they've already got a deer down. Like, that's awesome. Anyway, it's a lot of fun tagging out that early. It was nice having help to break it down too, because having multiple hands and knives on the deer is just, it's just really efficient. Um, even though it rained pretty good while we were bring, breaking down the deer, we had a good time. Um, I actually, I'll include this little lesson. I made the mistake of leaving my backpack laying down and just completely open, which was a bummer because while it was raining, it just filled up with water. But I'm glad I didn't have a sleeping bag in there or something. It could have been a lot worse. Um, my pack sheds water pretty well. So if you just like zip it, up, I don't have a, a rain cover for it or anything. I've never needed one, but if you just zip it up and put it under a tree, it's usually fine. Anyway, that's a little lesson I learned, but let's talk about what actually made this hunt a success and all the lessons learned over the years and that made everything work out for this hunt. So I was thinking about this and I basically have a story for every little lesson that made the difference and made this stock a success. So there's eight of these lessons. Number one is stay out of sight. So don't get busted for 300 yards away. I've made this mistake a bunch of times. Even last year I got busted for moving through an area where I was visible from the bedding area and I knew that there were deer in the bedding area. And I, I thought since they were in the trees that they couldn't see me that well, but I was wrong and they busted out. So 
you're wrong if you think the deer can't see you from far away. They can, and they don't have to necessarily know what you are or have a lot of definition when they see you. If they just see something alive and moving from three, four, six hundred yards away, they can bust out of there. So even when you're far away, you need to stay out of sight and move slowly. So that's lesson one, stay out of sight. Lesson two is know the terrain. So scouting and being in the area helped me the approach on this stock that I did. And it helped me know where to go and where I could stay out of sight and where I needed to be. So you have to to creep when they can see you and and if you're and if you're far, far away and you can get into a cut you can move a lot faster but if they have a line of sight at you you need to be creeping even if you're like multiple like 300 yards away like i've been busted from that far away and knowing the terrain will allow you to move more quickly um so you can find those little cuts and move faster but when you're in sight you need to creep so i swear like even when i'm lifting up my binos i try and get behind a tree and lift up my binos and then just like edge my face outside so they zero in on it and they can they can get busted if you're moving too much so use the terrain to your advantage so that's lesson two know the terrain and use it to your advantage lesson number three is knock an arrow so as soon as i was at that 100 yard mark where it was stalking time i knocked an arrow and this lesson has a lot of applications but, and, and it doesn't cost you anything to knock an arrow and it can make all the difference. So I learned this lesson the first time in 2019, my first year bow hunting, waking up from a nap and there's a buck at 20 yards and no arrows knocked. It was just a completely missed opportunity. And I think that, yeah, that was episode six. If you want to go back and listen to that. But in this case, I knocked an arrow and when I had the freedom of movement and like there wasn't that, like there's, there's not that little click when you put your arrow on the string um, it, if you, if you don't have freedom of movement, like if a, if a deer is already in the, in the red zone, you, it's harder to knock an arrow. So just knock that arrow before you get too close when you have freedom of movement. Um, so anyway, that's number, lesson number three, always knock an arrow. Lesson number four is use a proper stance. So don't miss because you're sitting in a bad position, a uh, bad shooting position. This was a lesson I also learned in 2019 on my first bow hunt. Uh, episode six, I was not prepared. I walked over this hill too fast and there was just a buck standing there at 40 yards. And instead of being ready with an arrow knocked and moving slowly and drawing back my bow, I decided to just drop to my butt for some reason. And then the deer jumped off to the right, stopped. And I tried shooting from my butt to my right as a right-handed shooter. And that's just really difficult to do. And I completely missed when I let the arrow fly. So when I'm stalking in, I'm always thinking about my feet, trying not to cross my legs when I take steps. If something steps out, you're going to have to shuffle your legs or something, and it's, it's just extra movement, and it could make the difference if you can't make the shot. So in this instance, I had already set my feet when the buck stepped out, and I didn't even have to move. And I realized that there is some luck involved in that too, but I didn't have, I didn't have my feet in an awkward position straddling uh, a log or something. So that's lesson number four, use a proper stance. Lesson number five is range the actual animal if possible. I learned this lesson in the worst possible way twice last season. Yeah, twice. I talked about this in episode 63 and 64. So a quick recap for those of you who are new to the podcast or whatever. Last year, I shot over a big buck that we had been chasing called Ironside 
in this same area. And actually I crept up on him. I saw his antler tips. And while he was feeding behind this cliff, he had a rock behind him. I ranged the rock because that was where he was going to come out. And the rock was exactly 50 yards. And then the deer stepped out right in front of the rock and I shot for 50 and it went over his back and hit the rock exactly where his vitals were. It just arced over the top of him. So if I would have shot for 45, it would have killed him. And I didn't learn that lesson just once. I learned it a second time when I was on top of a cliff and I ranged a buck below me and I ranged the actual buck this time at 22 or 24 yards. I can't exactly remember. Um, then I shot, but because it was such a steep angle and the way I was crouched down, the cam of my bow hit my knee when I released. And because it was such that sharp angle, like my, the cam hit the bow or my, my, my cam of my bow hit my knee and then the bow just kicked forward and my arrow hit the dirt like three feet in front of the deer. And then when the deer jumped away kind of to the side, I didn't range him again. I just knocked an, an arrow and shot for like five yards farther. So I judged him at 30 yards and he was actually 42 yards. So he was quartering away slightly. He had his front leg, clo- the front leg closest to me f- was stepped forward and I shot under his belly and hit his offside front leg below his belly. So the shot was just way too low and I never found him and I only had specks of blood to follow. I mean, it was just heartbreaking. So I should have taken the time to range the actual animal because I'm obviously horrible at judging distance, especially in the moment when there's a lot of stuff happening, your heart's pounding, you don't really register distance that well. Anyway, that's lesson five, range the actual animal. And I know it's not always possible, but if at all possible, it's much better to do it and to not guess. So lesson number six is patience. Don't rush the shot. You have time. And this is a lesson that I learned from my uncle Darren when he was on the podcast in episode 41. So he told this story about rifle hunting when he was with my grandpa and he watched my grandpa take his time shooting, even though he had an absolute giant buck in his sights. You can go see the picture of it in in the show notes of episode 41. And he took the time to make sure that he had a clear shot and he moved the grass out of the way and made sure he didn't make a bad shot. And I think about that often. I still just from listening to my uncle talk about that in episode 41. So you have more time than you think. Be patient, take your time and make a good shot. And I, I actually thought about that when I was drawn back on this buck, when that pin was settled right where it needs to be. Sometimes you have the tendency to jerk the trigger or just make it happen because you know, what if the buck takes another step, but just be patient, take your time and make a good shot. You always have time to make a good shot. And that's lesson six. Don't rush the shot. You have time. Lesson number seven is practice, practice, practice. So one thing I actually didn't think about until after I shot this buck and I only realized afterwards was was that the the shot sequence was completely automatic for me. I didn't even think about anchoring or squeezing. The only thing I, I remember thinking about was leveling my bubble and thinking about the range and where to put the pin. So I was like, okay, 35, and I shoot a 30, 40, 50, like a three-pin slider. So I was like, okay, 35, and I put my 30, my 40, and I split the difference, put those pins right where I wanted them, and then I remember leveling my bubble and then everything else was automatic. I don't remember pulling through the shot or my grip on my bow or anything like that. All of that was automatic. 
after many, many sessions of practice and doing the same thing every single time. And it made that shot so much more effective because in the moment, you can't take the time to think about too many steps. It has to be automatic. And that automatic sequence only comes from practicing a lot. So that's lesson seven, practice, practice, practice. Lesson number eight, decide your goals, set the rules before the hunt, and then stick to them. So as I said in the last podcast, I was planning on shooting the first legal buck, no matter how small, as long as it presented a good ethical shot. I was not going to hold out for a second opportunity because I only have a few days to hunt this year and I can't afford to go home empty-handed two years in a row. So when that little two point stepped out at 35 yards with this perfect broadside shot, I honestly thought for a few seconds about waiting and just seeing if that big buck came out. But then I remembered that I promised myself I wouldn't pass it up. So if you have goals like that, write them down, say them out loud, say them to your hunting partner, whatever you need to do so that you're more likely to stick to them. You'll be happy that you did if you make your thoughtful goals and then stick to them. I also said to myself that I wouldn't take a shot over 60 yards. So between 50 and 60 yards, all the variables had to be perfect and out to 50 yards, I feel pretty good. Um, so that's another good rule to set for yourself is understanding your capabilities and making good decisions based on your goals that you've made, especially when you're in the moment, because if you decide first, then it's going to be a lot easier to stick to your rules after. So that's lesson number eight, set rules for yourself and stick to them. So yeah, anyway, there's last one last thing I need to mention about this hunt. Yeah, I made a lot of preparation and I learned a lot of lessons before being successful with my bow, but it doesn't guarantee success even if you put in the work. There's always an element of luck. And I was pretty lucky, <laughs> to be honest, Like looking, especially looking back, looking back, I was lucky that that buck stepped out where he did. I barely had to stock in on him and he mostly just came to me and he like he could have just decided to turn down the mountain um, on a, on the other side of the meadow or something and he wouldn't have been in range that that, that was lucky and he, I mean he could have jumped the string that would have been luck or unlucky I guess he could have taken a step at just the wrong moment that would have been unlucky there's so many variables that are beyond your control especially when you're bow hunting but it's true what they say, that good luck happens where preparation meets opportunity. So the more work you do up front and learn your lessons, it puts you in a better position for good luck to happen. And I could, but still, I could have done everything right and not had an opportunity like that. And I mean, it happens all the time. Like it's, it's happened for years at this point now. Like I've done a lot of things right over the years too, but it just doesn't happen every time. So I recognize that there's a lot of luck in hunting. And that, I don't know, that just needs to be said. Um, as far as the rest of the, the story, the pack out went well. Paulo was dead tired and I think he just wanted to hunt out to the car. So so we went out together and, and then Colby, Ross, and Ross's dad, Edwin, stayed to keep hunting. And on the pack out, Paulo and I crept in through the rain, like it rained the whole time, essentially. Well, I guess just like the first hour or so. But anyway, we, uh, we crept through the rain and did some stalks. We we went through some trees that had, there was a high chance of there being a buck bedded in there. Like I knew they bedded in there. And and sure enough, there was a big four point that stepped out at 70 yards, which is pretty cool. But we didn't have a shot and we couldn't get closer before it spooked. And we also had another cool encounter, me and Paulo with a doe at 35 yards that just sat there in front of us and just devoured this giant mushroom the size of a lunch plate. So that was cool to watch. So we had a good pack out, even though 
uh, he didn't shoot get he didn't get a shot at any bucks so overall I can't even explain how excited I was to get my first archery buck it's been three years of learning lots of lessons to finally get a buck on the opening day of the fourth year bow hunting so hopefully those of you who are new to bow hunting can learn some of these lessons that it took me years to learn and you can get your first tag filled faster than three years you know <laughs> i know it's a small buck that i killed but i've always wanted a velvet buck and i finally got it and i'm i'm honestly surprised how much this small two-point rack means to me i mean the last few days i i babied that thing the last few days i, I used velvet lock on it is this product that you spray on the velvet to preserve it and i checked on it probably 10 times a day just to look at it and really relive that feeling that feeling of my arrow just releasing perfectly watching the arrow hit exactly where I was aiming and hearing that pumpkin sound it was it was the, just the most satisfying feeling and I am officially addicted to it and those little antlers make me so happy thinking about the memory of that day and all the lessons I learned leading up to it so he's not like a super dinky two-point. He has some cool character and some he has some knobby bases. I'm, I'm, I still think he's probably a yearling buck. So he's a cool buck. I like him, but obviously I'm biased. And if you want to see a picture, you can go see it on my Instagram. I have it pinned at the top of my profile. So um, I want to I hear your stories of your first archery kills too. That would be awesome. So uh, if you have have stories about your first archery buck or your first archery bull or whatever it is i'd love to hear those stories send them over to me um you can always find me at uh, on my email you can send me an email at skylar at huntthewest.us or direct message me on instagram at huntthewest.us or my personal page at skylar.harrison so that's it you guys it's archery season so take those lessons to heart get out there and hunt the west <laughs>